Coral is the leading sexual self-improvement app for everyone. They are on a mission to normalize sexual wellness and help the world be happier and healthier. With a team that includes the country's foremost sex-positive researchers, they help users experience boosted confidence, deeper intimate connections, and new frontiers of enjoyment. Since its launch in November of 2019, over 300,000 people have used Coral to create their best intimate lives. Today, I will be speaking with Zoe Kors, sex and intimacy coach, about the groundbreaking work they are doing over at Coral. So please join me in welcoming Zoe from Coral to the show. So I am joined here today with Zoe Kors. She is a sex and intimacy coach and also partakes in the Get Coral app, which we'll be talking about and diving into more today. Zoe, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, it's so nice to be here with you, Lauren. Um, Yeah, my name is Zoe Kors. I am located currently in Los Angeles, although I work with clients all over the world through the magic of technology. Um, I'm the resident sex and intimacy coach for Coral, sexual wellness app. And um, yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here talking about all things sexuality and intimacy. Yes, likewise. I'm so excited. I found the Coral app on Instagram and I was so intrigued. Can you talk a little bit about just the app and and maybe the app's goals and who it serves? Sure. Um, Coral was founded by Asharna Walsh. And the mission of Coral is really to help people improve their their sex lives. Um, And really, we believe that sexuality and sexual wellness is a really big part of overall wellness. And um, it's something, sex is something that we don't always freely talk about and explore and work on. There's so much cultural conditioning and shame around sex and sexual expression. And so we like to sort of um, take the taboo out of it and really help people and guide them to embracing their sexuality from a, a place of health and wellness. I love that because sexuality really encompasses, it's such a broader spectrum rather than just sex and intimacy, although int- intimacy could be a part of sex, but it really, it, connects with your overall health and wellness. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on here talking about that today, because I've found that a lot of times sex is the one thing in life we're expected to know how to do straight out the gate. And it's so interesting because a lot of couples won't even have that conversation of what are your likes, what are your fantasies until if they're lucky, maybe a year down the line. Have you found that? Oh, yeah. I mean, a year down the line try 20. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that it's even, it starts even more basic than that. So there are a lot of people who don't even know how their partner's body works yeah. and, and really not even their own. Sure. Like there are an incredible percentage of people who really haven't sort of studied where all of their sort of organs in their pelvic region are or the way their genitals look or function it's um you know when you think about it our sex education in school is sorely lacking and for most of us our main source of sex education and the way we learn about ourselves and sex is through pornography and um that's 
not always accurate. That's being Rarely generous accurate. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because with porn, I feel like it could be a tool that couples use to bond or maybe explore their kinks. But a majority of the time, there is no, um, there's no consent. There's no foreplay. There's no uh, aftercare. There's no, it's, it's all kind of like a facade and, and acting. And a lot of times people don't realize that. And I didn't know that until I was maybe 21, 22 years old. Sure. Um, and I mean, yes, most porn, most mainstream porn, there is some great ethical porn sure. out there, but for the most part, um, mainstream commercialized pornography portrays a woman's sexual response mm -hmm. as quite different than it actually is in real life. Men's as well. Mm -hmm. And and I should say male and female or, sure. you know, vaginal, vulvar, penal, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just people don't, people don't behave, react, respond the way they do in pornography. And it puts a lot of performance anxiety and pressure and self-questioning and self-loathing um, into the mix. So when we show up in a real life relationship, it can be really loaded and filled with anxiety and pressure. And that's not good. Certainly not health and wellness oriented. No. And I think it leads, I, I would love to talk about uh, connection and kind of how it looks today versus in the past, because a lot of times in porn, there is no heart to heart connection. It's just, it's an act that's being portrayed Typically for male viewers, a lot of porn that's non-ethical or that you don't pay for is made by males for males. So it's not very female pleasure based. So do you find that in couples or in individuals that that can lead to a disconnection in their relationships and to their sexuality? Um, sure. I, and I think that... Um we sort of tend towards a lack of con substantive connection that isn't necessarily rooted in pornography. Yeah. Um, that kind of pornography is um, just as much a symptom as it is a cause. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that connection is really something that is extremely relevant and looking at not only how connected we are, but um, what kinds of connections we have with each other. And, you know, the pandemic really brought that front and center because we ended up for many of us spending much more time together physically in the same physical mm -hmm. environment and simultaneously feeling much less connected mm -hmm. on an emotional level. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that, um, you know, technology in general and the use of the internet allowed us so many more avenues of connection and also a sort of superficial connection, um, not necessarily the kind of deeply rooted connection that you, um, that you get maybe before the internet showed up or before we had a, a you know, a smartphone in our hand at all times. I know. I love that you use the word superficial connection because people and stimulation is more readily available at our fingertips more than ever before. Yet the loneliness epidemic is at staggering rates and everyone feels so disconnected from each other while we're all on our phones. You know, it's 
a lot of times people aren't present with each other. I even found myself getting upset with my partner yesterday because we were seeing each other for the first time in a few days and, and he's sitting on the couch on his phone. And I was just like, I'm right here. Like we text all day yeah. and then we're together and we're on our phones. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to refer to, um, to something called the trifecta of anti-intimacy. Mm. And that is uh, denial, deflection, and distraction. Hmm. Can you go into the, those factors a little bit more? They all sound pretty, yeah, sure. pretty relevant. Um, <laughs> denial is, um, you know, like if you can imagine a situation where um, you are, I mean, you know, you can deny any facet of a relational dynamic or, or a moment or a circumstance. But like, for instance, if, you know, you are particularly emotional or there's something that you're needing from your partner or, um, you know, perhaps you haven't had sex in quite a while and your partner is just sort of in denial of that or you, mm. you know, I, I, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. You know, like we're, yeah. we're doing okay. We're not, not in, you know, we're not having problems sexually or we're not having a, a problem connecting on this. We're, we're all good. Um, or, you know, denying your own participation or behavior, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't just shut you down. I didn't, you know, also known as, as gaslighting, yeah. uh, um, but not always gaslighting is one form of denial. Mm -hmm. Um, deflection is, um, you know, sending it back. Like that's not, you know, I didn't do this, you did this, or mm -hmm. I only did this because you did this, or, you know, the red herring, like, we need to be talking about this over here, you know, mm -hmm. like, just really directing or deflecting the conversation um, at hand in another direction, so as not to come face to face with what is. Um, and, and distraction, of course, you know, I'm just gonna eat another pint of chocolate ice cream instead of really sitting in my the, the discomfort of my feelings mm. um, wow. right or I'm just going to look at my phone instead of connecting with my partner or being intimate yeah I love that you mentioned those they're so interesting I feel like they all intertwine because one often stems from or leads to another and a lot of times personally I feel like it's easier to just deflect or throw it back on your partner and not worry about it and scroll through Instagram rather than, like you said, sitting with those uncomfortable feelings, because a lot of us weren't taught or didn't observe how to go about doing that. That's right. And I think, you know, I think it was Tim Ferriss who said that the success of a person can be measured by how many difficult conversations they've been willing to have. Wow. I love that yeah. quote. I, I always say that the hard conversations are generally the most important conversations that we need to be having. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. And, and the same is true with like self-development work and um, is, you know, the, the parts that are more um, that you find yourself sort of resisting the things you don't really want to look at are the things that really are, are the most important to look at. You know, your resistance is um, equal to the the sort of essential nature of uh, something that you might be grappling with. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because once we gather the 
courage or the bravery to really dive deeper than the superficial surface of what might be appearing to go on with the deflection, the denial, the distraction. Once we really uh, uncover those those wounds or those those traumas or whatever that we feel in ourselves, it can help us to better our relationships ultimately in the end. That's right. Wow. That's right. Yeah. Relationship is the boot camp of self-realization. Mm. Right? Yeah, that's so true. Our relationships are oftentimes the place where we do our deepest soul searching and can reach higher levels of growth. Absolutely. Our partners mirror back to us the places in which we're stuck or underdeveloped, you know, um, and, and really, you know, we are, we are most capable of showing up skillfully in relationship when we're skillful in our relationship with ourselves. A thousand right? percent. We only meet each other to the extent that we can meet ourselves. Mm. So would you say that that's a way to deepen connection with others is to deepen that relationship with oneself? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And when you look at sexuality, you know, it, it's also true there. And I'm a big proponent of self-pleasure and we have a lot of really wonderful self-pleasure um, exercises, guided self-pleasure and, and content in coral. Um, and, you know, if you know your body and you can relax into your body, not only can you ask your partner and direct your partner and help your partner navigate your own body, but you also have a certain level of comfort yeah. so that you are open to a full sort of embodied experience of, of intimacy and sex. Beautiful. Right? It's really cool that they're guided self-pleasure uh, exercises because it's, it kind of reminds me of a guided meditation and connecting the mind, the body, the soul, the spirit into that guided self-pleasure exercise. That just sounds amazing. Yeah. It's one of the things that I think, um, is, is most unique and powerful about coral. It's sort of our, um, our creative director calls it our secret sauce, um, internally. It's like, um, it's our exercises are we have guided exercises for partnered sex and experiences as well. Wow. Um, we've done some live events where I've guided people through um, a penis massage or a vulva massage or even um, self pleasure solo or yeah. in tandem next to each other. Oh my goodness. I love that. I've never, <laughs> I've never really heard of that before. I've heard of vulva massage and penis massage and things like that, but not, a guided exercise unless you physically attend a retreat or something like that. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So it's wonderful. And you can put you, we even have, you know, we have like, um, so at Coral, we also have, you know, vulva massages and penis massages and experience oral pleasure where the giver puts uh, ear pods in where so you, sick. so the, the receiver can relax and you can have sort of, you know, ambient music on, but wow. the giver gets the instructions and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's, it's really one of my favorite um, things about coral and, and I think that our, our users really love it. It's a very popular thing. 
I'm so excited because I can't wait to try this with my boyfriend. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're awesome. at that point in our relationship, we've been dating a year. And, and the other day, he's just like, I want to please you. Like, how can I go about doing it? And I don't know how to explain, like, go this way. Like, I, I try, but sometimes you need just that little push of guidance. Well, yes. So that's the other thing is that um, these exercises make it so easy for couples to um, create a kind of vibe in their relationship where this is just um, sort of experimental, like you're in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. And with us being able to sort of give you the instructions, if it doesn't go well, if it's not your preference, like you can blame it on us, you know, and have a more of a sense of humor about it. Like, you know, sometimes we feel like if we're needing to improvise and sort of steer the ship, some of the choices we make, if they're not pleasurable, then we feel sort of, you know, mm -hmm. bad about it, or, you know, I should know how to do this, or it's not, you know, yeah. it just, it takes the pressure off yeah. of uh, both partners for us to be able to call the shots and say, how did that go? Not so good. Great. Try this. Mm -hmm. I always tell people to go into any sexual encounter, whether it's with someone else or themselves with an open mind and curious, because you mentioned discovery and exploration. And it's kind of just like playing as an adult. And when we do that with ourselves and with our partner, you mentioned sexual confidence. That's how we can kind of build up that sexual confidence muscle. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm. Awesome. So I wanted to ask you, because I saw that you practice uh, socially engaged Zen Buddhism. Do you, yes. do you incorporate those principles into intimacy and relationships? Um, you know, I think the, um, the answer to that is that Zen Buddhism um, and, and socially engaged Buddhism is really just sort of a global perspective, um, a global application of, um, of Zen. But yeah, I incorporate Zen into teeth brushing and uh, dinner eating and certainly sex and sexuality for sure. Yeah, I, I feel like those practice of mindfulness and detachment and uh, introspective can really be applied to, I noticed that in your particular practice, it specializes in the treatment of compulsive sexual behavior and betrayal trauma. A lot of my listeners, I'd say the majority of my listeners identify as trauma survivors. So I'm really mm -hmm. interested in betrayal trauma and how that impacts our relationships in the future. Yeah. So I offer my services through a, um, therapy practice that specializes in sex addiction and compulsive sexual um, behavior and the, the betrayed partners and the trauma that is um, incurred through um, that kind of betrayal and yeah. partner behavior. So, um, and I think that, you know, whether you are suffering betrayal trauma from a partner who um, has, you know, deals with compulsive sexual behavior, um, often called sex addiction, um, or just in a single event, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a breakdown in the relationship, in the relational dynamic, it, it, there's a loss of trust, um, there's a sense of, you know, the 
the the betrayed partner's world sort of uh, not being recognizable. Everything they thought was true is no longer true. Mm-hmm. So it can take. It's really a. It's a. It's a long, hard road um, to restore trust and safety in the relationship to be able to really um, relax into yeah. that dynamic again. Yeah. Um, but it's possible. It's, you know, there's, there are couples who are doing a tremendous amount of work, um, successfully. And sometimes, I mean, like with any breakdown, if, if approached skillfully and with the right support and the right sort of level of consciousness around it, the opportunity for, you know, growth and, um, sort of, uh, a, a sort of en- enlightenment almost, you know, mm-hmm. um, or transformational quality to the relationship is really possible. Yeah. Breakdown can lead to breakthrough mm-hmm. into like a better, stronger relationship than ever before. Yeah. And something you mentioned was when approached correctly. I think that's kind of the key because intimacy, a lot of it is feeling safe. And when that security is kind of ripped out from beneath us, it could be really hard to feel safe, whether that's sexually, romantically, interpersonally. It kind of strips us from that ability to feel seen, to feel heard, and to feel safe with our partners. Yeah. And I think that, you know, look, there's a very specific, there's a lot written about this. There's some some great, the, the team of therapists that I um, work with, my role on the team is when a couple has healed um, sufficiently enough that the trauma is no longer front and center, um, then I help them integrate healthy sexuality for some of them really for the first time, you know, for some of them, they were so traumatized even before the acting out behavior and the betrayal trauma that, you know, it's, that has led to a sort of deeper, more foundational kind of work. And then we add healthy sexuality back in there. And then it's like, you know, they're a super power together. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that in terms of, of like the safety, there's, there's just a really specific methodology um, that involves the betraying partner or the acting out partner um, to really get in there and understand and sort of do what it takes to make the partner feel safe, even though in the normal course of things, those boundaries and those asks of a partner would seem potentially overboard. Um, but that's kind of like, you know, that's the process of sometimes you have to let the pendulum swing in the other direction to be able to go back to a a sort of more equitable balance of power. Mm, For sure. Once that foundation is kind of um, the foundation, which you built your own old relationship on once that has crumbled, then you can, if both partners agree to it, can build a brand new foundation to start your relationship on. So I'm curious you mentioned healthy sexuality. What does that look like in partnership or even solo? Um, I think that healthy sexuality, I mean, let's start with solo. It um, 
it means that there's a certain degree of like um, sovereignty and agency that you're aware of what has influenced you, that you can sort of step back into, you know, what some spiritual teachers call, you know, Ramdas calls it uh, witness consciousness, you know, the Buddhist concept of like absolute reality versus relative reality where you're sort of in it. You know, if you can step back and kind of see the big picture, you can see yourself as, um, you know, receiving all kinds of conditioning and stories and ideas and concepts around sexuality and, and, you know, start to sort of understand that we have choices, you know, what we were taught is right or wrong or isn't necessarily right or wrong for us. So allowing ourselves to sort of embody um, our, uh, the energy that our body can conduct and sexuality as a form of self-expression and really sort of come to terms with ourselves and design our own relationship with our, our bodies um, and, our, and our sex drive and our desire um, in a way that feels resonant with our values and who we are mm. then put that with a couple you know with a partner and um and then you know two or more people can build a relationship and a partnership in which sex and sexuality is aligned with both partners mm. you know and i think honestly we would choose most of us would make better relationship choices and choose partners if, if, you know, we gave ourselves permission to make sex important. Amen. Beautifully said. And you, you talked about boundaries several moments ago, and I feel like boundaries are integral when dealing with another human being or in the bedroom. Can you talk about why boundaries are crucial and even necessary if you want to build an intimate partnership? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, we are, again, culturally conditioned to sort of have this model of partnership, relationship, marriage, where um, two people know everything about each other. They are, they become one and they're entitled to know everything about each other and they're entitled to have a certain amount of control. It's just almost yeah. sort of like assumed. Yeah. Um, and that is a big problem. You know, it's a big problem on many levels. One is that we lose our sense of self because we feel a certain degree of sort of um, control I'm forced upon us by our partner or by, you know, sometimes it's not that the partner is trying to control us, but that the model of relationship that we are sort of, you know, defaulting to is this, is this sort of controlling oppressive dynamic. Um, so when we recognize and, um, recognize the value of being two individuals who are choosing to be together every day, then it allows us to participate in the relationship, you know, by choice. Um, and so, you know, I always say that like two individuals cannot 
intimacy can't exist unless there are two individuals. Intimacy is is made from the definition of intimacy requires that two different entities come together. If you are collapsed into one entity, one one couple, then there's no intimacy because you're just one unit. Yeah. And that, you know, Esther Perel, a couple of therapists says it best, you know, desire, um, in order for desire to grow, you need to be able to have some mystery, some excitement, some intrigue, some space between the partners. And that requires a boundary. Mm. That's an awesome point to mention because she does talk a lot about novelty and like, where is the spark and the the fun and, and the mystery, the intrigue? Where is that? If you're spending every waking moment together, there's no boundaries. You know, of course it's different if you're married or living together, but that's why it, me personally, in my relationship, we have a rule where we only see each other every other day because we want to be excited to see each other. And I really love that you brought up the, in, the kind of entitlement that we feel that, well, what's theirs is mine and, and what's mine is theirs. And sometimes that's not a healthy merging of two separate people. We want to be interdependent rather than codependent. That's exactly right. Very well said. And that's partly with the pandemic, with so many people um, spending, you know, every waking minute under the same roof, sometimes in a rather small space, um, depending on where you where you live and how you live. Um, I know, you know, living in Los Angeles, I'm in a two bedroom apartment with my 14 year old son and my husband, and there is not a lot of space. And we're all working here. My son is back at school. And but, you know, we're all here. And so, you know, we're spending every waking minute together. But but the challenge then becomes to allow each other and ourselves to have our own individual lives, you know, I watch some Netflix or I read a book or I'm, you know, or, or I even have some um, thought processes that I don't necessarily share. Um, Yeah. It's very, it's, it's fascinating to me how much, you know, we feel entitled um, to what are to be able to, to being able to approve or disapprove of what our partner is doing, thinking, feeling, mm-hmm. you know, fantasizing about. Um, and I really, you know, one of the things that I, a piece of like newsflash that I, I find myself needing to deliver to couples often is it's actually really not just healthy, but essential that you, uh, continue to self-pleasure even when you're in a relationship. Self-pleasure is not competing with partnered sex. It's actually, um, you know, it's it's a wellness practice. Yeah, it's a beautiful addition, right? Because then we have that sense of self. And, and I'm curious, because I'm sure you see this a lot, you know, people have been together for years and decades even, and then sex becomes routine. It kind of becomes this expected pattern, the same thing. And it can tend to take the, the excitement, the lust, the passion out of it. So what are practical tips or tools you suggest to couples to create a more interesting sex life together? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there are a couple things that I, that I, I like to recommend 
that I think are really helpful. Um, one is to schedule sex. Schedule it, put it on the calendar, create a data. And, and you know, people push back because, again, the cultural narrative is that sex should be spontaneous and it, that's the only way that it's hot and um, you shouldn't be able to control yourself. It should overtake you. And that's just not necessarily true, you know. And when we're first dating, right, we put it on the calendar. We make a date together. We carve out time to be together. That's that's scheduling sex, sure. you know, whether you're in the part of the relationship where you're even having sex yet, you know, you're warming up to it. It's the mm -hmm. foreplay um, or actually having sex. So um, schedule it and and build some anticipation throughout mm -hmm. the week. Put it put it down for like Friday. We're going to spend Friday night together. We're going to cook dinner together. We're going to or we're going to go out to dinner. We're going to come back, light some candles, create an atmosphere like treat it almost as a ritual, you know, and leave the devices, leave all the distractions, like really talk about boundaries, create a boundary at the threshold of the bedroom or, or the living room or wherever you're going to set up your love nest, you know, and, and really leave all of it behind. Um, the other thing that you need to be willing to do with each other over the long term is to, um, Create a space in which your partner can show up as the person that you want them to be. Hmm, that's interesting. So, in other words, if you imagine that your partner is someone that is like, you know, I mean, think back to when you were first dating, right? When you first met and it was super hot, right? You have to see your partner through those same eyes. Yeah. You know, and all those annoying habits that are starting to drive you crazy, you have to be able to let those go in order to feel the level of desire that you used to. Wow, that's so true. That's such an amazing point, because if we think about the the honeymoon period or however long that lasts, we saw our part, we were anticipating, we were excited, we got butterflies. And then as you get comfortable, that can tend to wear off. And sometimes we could just be outright mean to our partners. We treat them like a sibling or a child and we forget how we felt in the beginning. So I think that's really important to schedule those date nights to see your partner through the eyes that, you know, you have the best intentions and you think the highly of them rather than it's just an annoyance. It's just another person that gets on my nerves. Yeah. And the, the, the next level of that is to carry that through the day. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you like my husband and I, we could have the same conversation about the dishes, the way I do the dishes, the way he just does the dishes you know, whatever your, your version of the, of our dish conversation happens. Like we have to, I, I make sure that alongside that conversation, sometimes as close to that conversation as I possibly can, I go over to him and I, and I hug him in a way that like, I allow myself to let go. I allow him to, um, I allow myself to get lost in, in his presence and his energy. And I let him wrap his arms around me. And, and I, I surrender to that, you know, like willingly, like, because he's driving me crazy about the dishes, 
doesn't obliterate all those things I fell in love with. Yeah. All the wonderful so things he brings to my life. Like the, the, the challenge then is to really like keep those things alive. We're so good at keeping alive all the complaints, <laughs> all the friction, Yeah. but really cultivate and stoke all the things that are so magnificent, you know? Yeah. It's gratitude, I think, and also compassion. And those lead to deeper love and deeper intimacy and just stronger partnership when you have empathy and you also feel blessed for the positive qualities and the good memories that your partner brings into your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I'd love to talk about your book. Do you talk about this in your book, your upcoming book, Radical Intimacy, Cultivate the Deeply Connected Relationships You Desire and Deserve? Love that word, deserve. Can you talk (laughs) with us about your book? That's so exciting. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited. Um, The book, the publication date is April 12th of 2022, but it is available, currently available um, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. for pre-order. And um, yes, so I talk about, it's basically my model of intimacy, which um, I talk about three kinds of intimacy, um, which I cover, I define the three kinds as emotional, physical, and energetic. And then the three levels of intimacy are self, other, and world. Um, That's where a lot of socially engaged Buddhist practices come in. Um, and activism. Um, so if you take the three levels of intimacy, like up the side of a bingo card or a tic-tac-toe board and the three kinds of intimacy along the top and grid it out, you end up with like nine squares, nine opportunities, um, like areas of opportunity to cultivate intimacy. So like physical intimacy with yourself, emotional intimacy with yourself, uh, energetic intimacy with the world. Mm-hmm. So um, working all nine areas creates a really full um, life of intimacy. Yeah. That's super comprehensive. And I'm so intrigued with the energetic intimacy because I, I love spirituality and relationships are often very spiritual in nature. We kind of think it's just this physical, even emotional thing. But a lot of times we overlook that that opportunity for spiritual development in relationship. Yeah, very well put. Mm. Um, Yes, energetic intimacy is um, essentially the the sort of easy way to to talk about that is presence. Mm. So um, really being present to each other is a, a powerful form of intimacy that really has nothing to do with touch or words or communication or even feelings. Um, you know, it's, it, it sort of transcends all of that. So a really good way you were asking earlier about sort of sustaining desire and in a long-term monogamous relationship, um, really stepping into what Buddhists call beginner's mind, you know, or like, um, we don't even have to make it mystical, um, but just, you know, pretending you don't know anything about this person, you know, meeting this person for the first time, because in a sense, every day we're meeting our partner for the first time. Um, we change, they change, the world change, the context changes. 
So um, really looking at them with fresh eyes um, becomes a sort of, you know, an intimacy builder right there. And, and that can lead to desire. Yeah, because oftentimes, even I'm so guilty of this now that we're bringing it up. We assume that we know everything there is to know about our partners. But when we kind of flip the switch, we're learning ourselves every single day. The person we are now isn't the same person we are 10 years ago. So it's kind of interesting that we just assume differently with the person we're in relationship with. Yeah. yeah. And part of that is just our, our sort of, you know, our, our inclination to want to control things, mm -hmm. to have, and that comes from, you know, wanting safety. Um, and the way to get out of that really is to become more and more skilled at, at sitting with uncertainty, you know, and being able to ride waves and, and not try to, you know, um, control everything to the point where you shut down possibility. Yeah, it's so important too. you mentioned surrender. I think a large part of being in a energetic or even a healthy relationship is learning to surrender that control because really we can't control people around us. We can only control how we respond to things. That's right. Yeah, Beautiful. that's right. Well, is that why you call the book Radical Intimacy? I call it Radical Intimacy because um, because intimacy is so commonly um, understood to be, you know, between two people. And there's so much more to intimacy. Intimacy is, is sort of a way of life. It's a way of being in the world. And whether it's, you know, making eye contact and having an intimate moment with your barista when you order your latte or, you know, um, watching a sunset and being moved to tears by, you know, the power of the universe and the world and nature and, or, you know, feeling, uh, you know, a mother's pain in, you know, the Middle East as her child's being ripped from her arms, you know, um, there's so much opportunity to show up in the world really much more engaged than we than we are, than we think of it. And all of that is intimacy. And all of that feeds and nurtures and cultivates our, our sort of romantic sexual relationships as well. Yeah, they're all related. Yep. Amen. Okay, so super cool. I'm wondering our last question here. What is a ritual, a routine, an affirmation, something that someone could do to take a step towards sexual self-improvement today? That's a great question. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say um, something that is not necessarily um, directly related, uh, but really will sort of serve as an underpinning for um, for all intimacy and sex and sexuality, whether it's with ourselves or with a partner. I'm going to say every morning, and you can do this several times a day. I like to do it first thing in the morning and last thing at night or, or thereabouts. Just sit comfortably. You can do it lying down, um, but you know, make sure that your your body is supported and comfortable. And take three deep breaths. On the inhalation, say, 
I receive life as it comes to me. And on the exhalation, I let it go. I receive life as it comes to me. I let go. Beautiful. I feel the shift already. <laughs> it's just it's just a very um, freeing mindset to have. Yeah. And breath work is so powerful, even during sex. A lot of times, Tantra teachers will incorporate yes. breath work. So yes. I'm really happy you yes. brought that up. Yeah. Thank you so much, Zoe. So I'm wondering where we can find you, um, where we can get the app, and just where people can work with you. Um, thanks. Yes. Um, Coral is um, basically an, an extension of my work personally. And we have an, an amazing team with a ton of really great sex experts that contribute to the app. Um, so that is like, if I could get that app on everybody's phone, I think the world would be a better place. Um, so anywhere you anywhere you purchase your apps, the App Store, I'm not an Android person, but wherever you get your Android <laughs> apps. <laughs> and uh, you can search Coral Sexual Wellness or Get Coral or go simply on the internet to getcoral.com. Um, and... Um, you can follow us on Instagram um, at Get Coral. Um, I am at Zoe Kors on Instagram. Um, you can go to zoecores.com, and that's basically how to find me. You can order the book wherever you order books. Awesome. Yes. I'll be sure to link all those in the show notes. Great. Oh, thank you so much, Zoe. This has been a really fun conversation. I feel like I've learned so much already. So I know that people are really going to enjoy this episode. Yeah, thank you so much, Lauren. You're, you're awesome to talk to. <laughs>